I'm JP Tuesday. And I'm Kiki Cannon. As lifelong Disney fans, the work of countless talented Disney creatives have shaped our lives. Now, as Disney catalog fans, we're taking a journey through film and television to discover if that spark that shaped us as children lives on in adulthood. Does your favorite Disney media still cast that same spell? Join us as we find out. We are Rewatching the Magic. Hi, Kiki. Find a happy place. Find a happy place. Find a happy place. <laughs> ah, it's Shark Week. Ooh, ha ha. Uh, so we are doing a fish-related movie. There are sharks in this movie. Finding Nemo. It was either this or a National Geographic thing, and uh, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Stop trying to make National Geographic happen. National Geographic has their own ripoff Shark Week called Shark Fest. Realize that this is a, a Disney podcast and National Geographic is owned by Disney now. But Shark Week is Discovery, who now owns Warner Brothers. Uh, corporations buying corporations. Soon everything will be Taco Bell. Yeah. So, Finding Nemo, 2003. Uh, I did see this one in a theater. Did you? Yeah, I I did as well. This one was a, a theatrical for me. This was one of those ones that because of the way movies were at the time and uh, before the theater in my town absolutely went off the rails, it was easy for me to just pop over and see a film so I remember seeing this on an off day on one of those weird matinee showings in the m middle of a weekday when no one was there. <laughs> so it was one of those where it was like me and two other people in the theater, I think. Uh, and as you have told, we, we talked about this, uh, I think both on and off mic, you the 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 closest decent theater to your place is like an hour drive from where you live. Well, now it is. Yeah. At the at the time that this came out, the theater I mean it's it's still there. It just at some point it changed ownership and the current owners, I don't know what business they think they're running, but I think they think that they do like underwater macrame or something now I, I don't know what it is but they do not think they're running a theater any longer so it's now like all the seats are broken the projectors frequently have like non-functional bulbs in them i think the last time i went and tried to watch a movie there the bulb was on its last flicker and you could not see the film like, it was so dark, I could not tell the characters apart. And I went and complained, and the the manager went, Yeah, I know, but it's so difficult to change the bulbs in the projectors that it's just kind of easier to wait until they actually, like, you know, explode before you bother. So... So clearly no one cares about like, theater. Like nobody is interested in the business they run anymore. So it's just easier to drive an hour anymore. 
<laughs> like, I literally live less than a mile from what is technically a movie theater. <laughs> but it is so poorly run that the last three times I've gone there, I've had to ask for my money back about five minutes into the movie. So it's like, at this point, it's like, we're just going to drive an hour to go to <laughs> go to a movie but at the time finding nemo came out it was under the old ownership and it was still trying minimally <laughs> so um yeah I, I i was actually able to just pop over and see movies constantly uh which was great um but this was this was so pretty at the time to see on the big screen and, and it's it still pretty now Pixar really, really going in on on animating water because most of the movie is underwater. Yeah, this this is one of those that I guess they I, I have a feeling that they did a lot of new a lot of new technology for this. I, I don't know if they did or not, but it it felt like such a step up at the time. Because I remember looking at this film at the time and going, whoa, this is not their usual. You know, this like Pixar films at the time were known for being really good computer animation. This was so beautiful at the moment. And it was so well done that it holds up now almost 20 years later. Yeah. I mean, this movie's going to be 20 years old next year. This is one of those that, you know, Disney in general has a long history, and we've talked about it on several films, of when they animate wildlife, that they either bring wildlife to the studio or they take animators to the wildlife. Mm. And this was another one of those films where they did that extensively. Mm. And I do know that they took a lot of the Pixar animators to aquariums. Uh, some of them went, like, got scuba certified and went scuba diving in order to see uh, tropical fish in reef habitats and see how reef work, you know, reef... Uh, aquaculture worked and things like that and it it really pays off because this, this entire movie is just outstanding in the very in the way yeah it, yeah it the, works. the lifelike movements of the fish and the fact that the fish are constantly moving even when still in the water like their fins are still moving like real fish you know it's 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 very they they really went in on on the lifelike things, and uh, this was the brainchild of our director, Andrew Stanton, which we have talked about before because he's the director of John Carter. Yeah, and uh, also Monsters Inc. And um, Bugs Life. Uh, well, well, he he co-wrote uh, Monsters Inc. He co-wrote. <laughs> The Toy all, Story films, yeah, all, all of the Toy Story films. He was a director on Bugs Life. He was a director on Wall-E. Animation-wise, amazing. Maybe not so much live action. <laughs> yeah. Love you, dude. Maybe. Um, however, though, uh, maybe just not live action for feature films. 
because he's directed some really good episodes of live action television because mm-hmm. he's done some stuff for Stranger Things. Mm. He's done Better Call Saul. He's done Legion. So there's mm. your Marvel co- connection there, which are all excellent television shows. So, uh, you know, I just, you know, we we talked in depth about all of the things that went wrong with John Carter. So maybe it was just that was just possibly a cursed film that no one can make work. So, so the man's got talent in other in other areas. So I don't want to knock him too much. So, yeah, this was his idea. Uh, he says he based it on him as a child going to the dentist that had a, a fish tank. And he would always fantasize that the fish came from the ocean and whatnot. And it's also partially based off him realizing how uh, his overparenting of his young son and how it was damaging their relationship. And all of that combines into this movie. And nothing better to make your, 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 your movie than real life experience, I, I suppose. Well, you know, there's that old adage about write what you know, so. Yeah. I guess uh, trauma from the dentist and trauma from parenting, I guess. Yeah. And, you know, this was the highest grossing, the highest grossing animated film of 2003 and one of the big movies of 2003. And with good reason, because like we said, this is a movie that really holds up. It's animation wise. And was the first Pixar movie to ever win the Best Animated Feature Oscar. The only other movie that made more mo- more money than Finding Nemo was Lord of the Rings: The Return of the King, which was also up for Oscars here, just in yeah. a different category. Yeah. So let's get into who's in this movie. Uh, start with uh, let's start with our, our our main character, Marlin the Clownfish. The legendary Albert Brooks. Uh, not his his first time in voiceover, of course. Our generation will really remember him as Hank Scorpio from The Simpsons. That's I don't mean to demean the career of Albert Brooks, of course, because he's got so much uh, to... Uh, to recommend him of course in his career but come on once once you've played hank scorpio that's that's got to be like the big feather in your cap don't you You know it's like oh you know i was in taxi driver i was in you know like no 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 you were hank scorpio come on man (laughs) 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 um no uh but that that of course is is always my first thought when i when i think of him and i don't mean that in any sort of horrible way like once you're in the simpsons they've made it come on he was Um, also in the simpsons movie he watched that uh that epa agent russ cargill yeah yeah um but yeah no i mean uh sorry it's just you know we've we've talked we've talked before of course how much simpsons is like the linchpin of our lives, you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah, Im- immediately it's like, that's, 
that's what I'm always going to think of Albert Brooks as. It's like, oh, you're you're Hank Scorpio with the flamethrower laughing as your <laughs> entire empire falls around you. It's like, there's not a more iconic moment to me. Immediately, the, the breakout character of the movie, you gotta go with Ellen DeGeneres' story. Yeah. Ellen DeGeneres. If you don't know who Ellen DeGeneres is, I don't know what to tell you. A legendary stand-up comedian. Had her own TV show. Had her own talk show. Yeah, which is uh, just finally uh, coming to a close this year. I mean, it that talk show, it's hard for us to remember because her, her talk show just seems like it's been around forever and ever and ever. And then her talk show started the same year that Finding Nemo came out. You know, if if you're just a little bit younger than us, you probably don't remember her sitcom, Ellen, or her earlier stand-up. It was kind of a big deal at the time for Disney to cast her uh, because she was still dealing with the fallout of her coming out. Mm. We, we don't remember, you know, it's kind of been wiped away from the consciousness because now it's like, she had that time of like, Oh, she's the very uncontroversial and everybody loves her kind of, um, Ellen. But in that, late 90s early 2000s just before she got the role as dory there was that moment of we didn't know if after the cancellation of her sitcom if she would have a career again mm-hmm. and then she had the talk show and the Finding Nemo being such a hit and it relaunched in a way her career. I find it interesting and it, I mean, it works here, you know, Mm -hmm. she, she does very well. Um, and Dory became the absolute smash hit breakout character. To this Um, day, there are people who share just keep swimming memes. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, a few others of note here. Um, some of them we've talked about before. Willem Dafoe, uh, as Gil, uh, from the, the tank that Nemo gets put in. Um, Brad Garrett, we've talked about before, who's also in the tank. Uh, legendary Allison Janney as the, um, the sea star, um, starfish. And uh, Stephen Root, who, man, I love Stephen Root. <laughs> um, in the in the aquarium, he's the the um my bubbles. Yeah, the, yeah, the bubbles. We uh we get Jeffrey Rush as the pelican mm-hmm. that helps him out. Um, uh, they pulled out a lot of Australian actors. Uh, because you know it's an Australian, <laughs> yeah, uh, Australian setting in the the Great Barrier Reef. Andrew Stanton makes his appearance as Crush. He's the voice of Crush. Elizabeth Perkins uh, shows up for just the, that little bit at the beginning as Nemo's mom. Um, and you 
may remember her as Wilma Flintstone in the 90s Flintstone live action movies. <laughs> One of the ones I had forgotten who had done the voice was, uh, you know, we're doing this for the, the Shark Week joke, but uh, Bruce, our main shark here, is voiced by Barry Humphreys, speaking of Australian actors, who is better known as Dame Edna. The uh, legendary drag queen character. Um, and I had forgotten about that. He's he's using his, his own voice. I mean, his, his normal voice here, not the Dame Edna voice. Mm-hmm. But I had forgotten that that's, that that's him playing Bruce. And I love the, na- the wordplay of a shark named Bruce. All sharks you're... are named Bruce. Yeah, the other ones have gone off script. Uh, they <laughs> you, all, all, all if, sharks are always and forever named Bruce. If you watch, you know, if you're a Jaws fan, that's what they named the animatronic. <laughs> yeah, um, named named after uh, Spielberg's lawyer at the time. Uh, may may still be Spielberg's lawyer. I don't know. Um, he uh, he had a very long uh, relationship. Uh, with Spielberg, but um, very at the at the time uh, when they when they showed Spielberg the animatronic for the the first time, uh, he jokingly said, "Hey, it looks like my lawyer. Hey, Bruce, what's up?" And uh, from that moment on, it it just became the joke that that was what the animatronic was named, and it became. A running joke among film fans back in the day when you couldn't just Google every tiny little thing. Film nerds would always just joke and they would put in references to that when sharks appeared in other movies. And so the joke in in Hollywood would be like, well, if you've got a a shark in your movie, you name it Bruce. And so the joke in Hollywood became all sharks are named Bruce. Uh, since this is this is a Pixar movie, we got their good luck charm. John Rettenberger plays the School of Moonfish. Yeah, uh, that's always fun. Um, speaking of uh, sharks, we get Eric Bana, the worst Hulk, as the hammerhead shark in our shark group. Sorry, dude, nothing against you, but just that's yeah that's the way the cookie crumbles on that one um (laughs) but yeah um and then of course we get the um seven-year-old at the time alexander gold as the the voice of nemo Um, uh you know i mean it was at least the kid could act i mean casting a child to play a child in an animated Anything is is a crapshoot. I mean, like like you know, watching um, like Charlie Brown cartoons where they insist on all the kids being voiced by kids. Some specials are really you get really good acting. Some specials you kind of don't. Yeah, the the ones where you get the really bad acting though, I will tell you kind of a. It's not really a secret because I think it's one of those things that a lot of people know now. Apparently, the ones where you get the really bad acting, where it's like, 
wow, I didn't know that. Come on, Snoopy, you know. It's apparently the director was just not letting the children just say their lines like children. He was telling them like, okay, kids, say your lines like this. And would tell them exactly how to say their lines. And they were just mimicking the director. And he was just a really awful director and an even worse actor. Uh, and that's why the, those really bad Charlie Brown specials are that way is because he didn't trust the, the kids to actually just, you know, either act or just be kids. Mm. Um, and so that's that's the reason why they sound very bizarre and Wooden. almost robotic. Yeah. Gold uh, would come back to Disney a bit. He would voice Bambi in Bambi 2, the, 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 the direct-to-video uh sequel yeah um and he's gone on to to be uh you know continue his acting career he was later in weeds and and all that as well so yeah all right so let's get into our story marlin and coral two clownfish starting their family of a bunch of baby fish eggs is so cute da 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 it's a very cute newlywed kind of intro between Marlin and Coral? Yeah, you can tell they've just moved into their first house. You know, they're starting their family. They're, you know. You know. Do, do we need a house that's big? Yeah, look how many kids we're going to have. They, they, they need the space, you know. He, he, you know, Marlin goes on and says, hey, what happened? You know, imagine one day the kids wake up and they see the ocean. They see a whale right by their house. It's going to be awesome. And you can tell that Marlin is... I mean, he's not the most adventurous, but he's also not terrified. Not yet. The tragedy hasn't happened yet. It's going to happen. But, about- but, but you can tell that his personality is completely different than what we see in most of the movie. And he's very it's, excited it's to be a father. very good setup. And very excited to be a father. Yeah. As he, as he looked on his eggs. And then, ooh, Barracuda. Yeah. Um... And so the question reminds: If Coral had stayed put, would the would the paracuda had gone after the eggs? We don't know. Well, it's just mother's I, instinct to protect the kids. I, I I get that. I I'm not even sure it's one of those. There's blame to be had. It's just one of those tragic sort of things. Yeah, because you kind of do need. In order for Marlin to become the character he needs to be in this story and eventually goes through his character arc, he, this tragedy kind of needs to happen, unfortunately. I mean, I'm not sure that I'm with you. Uh, once again, this is kind of a, you know, it's it's the it's the same thing that a lot of these Disney movies have, and we've talked about it before, you know. Dead parents. <laughs> You know, but, uh, and and specifically with the let's do violence to a woman so a man can have a plot, which yeah. continues to, you know. <laughs> uh, go back to listen to our Thor Love and Thunder discussion to understand what she was talking about. <laughs> yeah, well, well, it's it's not even that. It's just that it's, so, you know, go back and listen to our spider-man no way home discussion go back and listen to our 
many, many classic Disney movie discussions go back and listen to. I mean, there's a reason why the term fridging is a trope, but there's not a similar term that deals with the same thing, but for a man. There there may be one, but I am not immediately familiar with it. The thing is, though, is that we we are left with a traumatized Marlin and one egg that we see is damaged. Yeah, a lot of people missed this the first go around with the movie. Maybe when they saw it in the theaters or when they saw it on DVD or home video, they didn't it wasn't the picture wasn't really clear. But like when Disney Plus launched and people were watching Finding Nemo, I saw so many posts like they never noticed that the egg was cracked. This was one of those things that I I caught in the theater the mm-hmm. first time. I, I don't know why. I guess it was it was just I happened to be looking at the the right time. I don't know. The camera does kind of linger though. Yeah. The way he kind of you know caresses the the egg, you know, and it, I I'll take care of you, and it it is kind of a lingering shot, but mm-hmm. um, you know, and we and we discover that. Nemo, I, I do like the the way that he gets the name because Marlon talks about we're gonna name this half Marlon Jr. and that half Coral Jr. and and Coral says I'd like to name Nemo, and so he names the one remaining egg Nemo. Yeah. Um, but uh, due to that damage to the egg, uh, Nemo does have a small fin on one side. Lucky Finn. Lucky Finn. Um, Marlon has now become traumatized and overprotective. You see that he does a lot of rituals about go out, come back in, go out, come back in, check to make sure nobody's got, you know, do you want to go to school yet? Do you want to delay another couple of years? Do you want to, you know? Yeah. You do see that it's not just with Nemo because when they show up to school and he's talking to the other parents the other parents say like oh look who's out of the anemone you know it's Marlon doesn't go out either but yeah ever since that Barracuda attack he is completely traumatized he does he very rarely leaves he's it, it completely changes his personality completely and I mean it's it's not an unfair depiction of trauma it's not which which i i don't mind the portrayal it's never making fun of marlon and what he's been through you always understand even though you understand nemo as well you know he's a kid he wants to be a kid yeah you know go you know so you can see how both of them view the situation but it's very fascinating the the dynamic and the way that the other fish in the area view marlin one thing i did like is that the kids never make fun of nemo for his fin. Like you'd think that they would put that in here. Because you know, kids are mean and whatnot. But once you know. They ask about it. 
obviously, but they don't make fun of him for it. Because, you know, we have the one squid who has a smaller tentacle than the others. We have a seahorse that's allergic to water. And the other one, and I'm annoying. Yeah. But they also don't uh, really, they're not really bullies in that sense either. You know, they they have the, the little joke about, oh, you guys made me ink and all that kind of stuff. But it's not really done in a bullying kind of way you know there's it's kind of fascinating because you do have that whole moment with the the school and you could put in jokes there about the traditional bullies and you know nemo maybe not trying to fit in yeah being bullied to fit in but except for the thing where they say he's scared of the boat. It's not said in a bullying way. They were actually trying to stand up for him. They were trying to make sure he didn't get in trouble with his dad. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, Nemo wasn't going to swim out in the water. He was too scared. And that sets Nemo off. But it wasn't said in a bullying way. It was said in like a... Don't worry, Mr. Marlin. It was Nemo wasn't ever in any danger. He was too scared anyway. Yeah. Um, which I found an interesting kind of reversal of the the typical trope you would find in the movie because normally it would be like they would have come up and it would have been like, oh yeah, we just absolutely bullied Nemo until he went out into the water. Scaredy catfish, scaredy catfish. You yeah, can't go out there. It would have been it would have been that scene in a in a different movie. And I'm kind of glad it didn't because it showed that even though he was sheltered and a little bit nervous, Nemo was always brave. Yeah. Um it may have been too spite his father a little bit but he was always had that in him you know i do i do like the the scene of him going up to the boat and marlin being like don't you get any closer to that boat don't you touch that boat and Nemo just defiantly putting his fin up there and being like touch <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and I get Nemo, you know, like I said, you know, he's been sheltered his whole life. He wants to get out there. He wants to explore the world. And from Marlin, you can understand. Again, we saw what happened. So Marlin is very protective of his son. He doesn't want to lose his son like he lost his wife and like he lost his other children. So you can kind of understand both, both of them. And, then- and what's going on here is, you know, anger. In a way, it's anger on both ends because, you know... Nemo is angry that Marlin is always hovering, so he's going to be defiant. Marlin is kind of angry because Nemo's not listening to him. The fascinating thing about this dynamic is, in the end, it's Marlin that pushes Nemo to do it more than the kids. In a less competent movie, it would have been like, oh, the kids bully Nemo and Nemo goes off and does it. But this movie is so savvy in the way it does it that it's Marlin that actually ends up pushing Nemo to it that almost bullies Nemo in a way. Um, it's not really bullying, I guess, but it's that 
if Marlon had just chilled out, taken a breath, and let the day unfold, it would have been Nemo goes out with the school. He sits there at the edge of the drop-off. He sees the boat. Maybe the divers would have come near, but he would have stayed near Mr. Ray. Mm-hmm. You know, because Mr. Ray got all the rest of the school to safety. The diver that came near Marlin near the drop-off just took pictures. Yeah. You know, didn't didn't capture any fish. Yeah. If, no, go ahead, go ahead. if Marlin hadn't been there, mm-hmm. you know, to kind of provoke Nemo. This movie wouldn't have happened. This this entire movie wouldn't have happened. It would have been like we went to the drop off. There was a bright flash of light. It was kind of weird, but Mr. Ray kept us all safe. And maybe Marlon would have had a freak out, and maybe he would have been like, "Okay, no more school for you for the next year or whatever." But then you know you're right. the The entire movie would have happened. You know, yeah. If it's Marlin attempting to keep control of Nemo and having his freak out that causes this entire thing. I find the dentist's words very fascinating when he talks about it later. We overhear him talking about Nemo. And somebody says, like, oh, look, you got a new fish for the tank. And he's like, yeah, I found him out in the ocean. He was struggling to survive. Poor thing. I saved him. Which, of yeah. course, is not at all what was happening. You know, you kidnapped the poor thing away from his father. Yeah. And I think that's such a fascinating way of showing humanity's hubris, in a way. Yeah, so this this dentist went on to scuba dive into the ocean for the purposes of getting a birthday present for his niece. I'm not sure if that was his intention or it was just a moment of like, oh, he he had a a bag. He had a bag. Well, he did. And they say that he also caught Gil that same way. But Gil was also injured. So I think that it's one of those things of he goes out scuba diving and probably like the other guy, he just looks at fish and maybe takes pictures. But then sometimes he'll see like an injured fish and he'll go like, oh, no, this poor fish. It can't possibly live alone in the horrific open ocean. You you think that uh, Mr. P. Sherman here just saw the bad fin and thought the fish was injured? Yeah. I, I think that that's what he saw. He, he saw, like, oh, look, it's a damaged fish. It can't possibly survive on its own in cruel, cruel nature. I will take it back to the tank and give it to my absolute crazy niece. You know? Well, I take the picture with the niece with the dead fish. I mean, I know why from my story perspective. I I think that he hadn't realized it was yet. Like, 
she was probably mid shake and he was like picture time and she stopped just long enough to smile and he hadn't realized that it was dead yet because we saw like how he doesn't he didn't really pay attention to her when she got her hands on the bag later Yeah. Because she was screaming like, wake up, fishy! And he's like wandering around the room going, now where did I put my, you know, whatever. Hmm. And she's like screaming and shaking the bag and all. And he's just not paying attention to her. So you have to assume that that's the same thing that happened to the goldfish. Is she was probably just like, goldfish, yay! And just like jumping up and down, shaking the bag. And he's like, all right, let's take a picture. And she stopped just long enough for that picture. And then he went like, oh no, it's floating upside down. And like grabbed it, you know? Mm -hmm. This bit where Nemo gets grabbed and the boat takes off and Marlin gives chase has one of my favorite gags that I've ever seen in a Pixar movie because it's so subtle. It made me laugh so hard in the theater and nobody understood why, because it's such a tense scene other than that, because he's chasing the boat, chasing the boat and he loses sight of the boat and he goes up to the surface and he screams, Nemo, Nemo, Nemo. And he dives underwater and he takes a huge breath and then he goes back up to the surface <laughs> and screams, Nemo, Nemo. And I just love that, that like reversal <laughs> because of course that's a fish breathes underwater, <laughs> but he has to go up to the surface to look for Nemo. And then dive underwater to take the breath. And then go back. And it's not like it's made a big deal of in the movie. It's just, he's screaming, he's screaming, he dives underwater to take the breath. And it goes back up. And it was so funny to me in the theater. And I was laughing so hard at what is an otherwise horrific moment of like, you're losing your child. He's just been kidnapped. He's like, you know, but it's such a random moment. And uh, at this point, enter Dory. And, you know, Dory, at, you know, everyone knows Dory. She's the, she's the uh, she has short term memory loss, which is played for laughs for most of the movie, which did upset some people. Let's not, let's not mince things. You know, it's it's this movie deals with a lot of uh, varying kinds of disabilities. One of them being short term memory loss. But, you know, the, the Dory's short term memory loss is played up for laughs. And you can understand why some people might be upset about that. Yeah, it. It is kind of fascinating that they went that direction at first. But it's it's only at first when you don't realize what's wrong with her that and you're you're seeing it more from Marlon's perspective, because, of course, the entire movie is more Marlon's perspective. But. As you get to know Dory, you do. 
see her frustration in things. She's trying to be helpful to him. She wants to be a friend to him. She's genuinely kind and caring. And it hurts her when he gets angry with her for a thing she can't help. Especially later in the movie when they think Nemo's dead and they and you know Marlon wants to go their separate ways. This terrifies Dory because this is the first time she's ever been able to remember anything. And with with and if Marlon goes away, then all of that goes away too. And she doesn't want to forget again. You know, the 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 that whole speech that Dory does, you know, when I'm with you, I'm home is one of the most uh, used lines I've seen on, in, um, you know, we're both on TikTok and there's a lot of people who, you know, pantomime famous movie scenes. And that is one of those scenes that you kind of see a lot is just people acting out live action, that whole scene. And it's, I think that's like one of the major scenes that made people love Dory so much. I do like this portrayal I understand people who were initially annoyed by it I was initially annoyed by it too in in a lot of ways because I thought well it could have been done a little bit better I think eventually it was um by the time we get to the sequel yeah yeah the thing is is I don't think it's as as badly done here as a lot of people remember I think that at the beginning because of who Marlon is that he treats her badly it's but I think he also treats Nemo badly in the same way that he he treats Nemo in a you can't do it like he calls it Lucky Finn and and all that kind of stuff but he also is you know he can't swim very far he can't do this he can't do that you know and there's a difference between recognizing accommodation and asking for it and infantilizing mm. in a way, um, which Marlon does. I think it's, at least for Marlon, it's a need for control. Because we've seen that with a lot of people who go through trauma. Marlon was in a situation that he couldn't control. And he doesn't really want to be put in a situation he can't control. So he tries to control Nemo. He tries to control Dory. It comes to a head later in the movie where he flat out calls Dory Nemo. Yeah. The thing about Dory and her memory loss is the way that it's portrayed is very, very simplified. One, because of kids' movie. And two, because they are playing into that comedy so a year after this movie came came out 
we get Drew Barrymore in Fifty First Dates, which honestly does the short term memory loss way worse than this movie does. Oh, absolutely. The thing is, is that it's usually not memory loss in that quick a a span. But again, kids' movie. It's, thing. you know, it's like, you know, character bonks on the head, loses memory, another bonk on the head. Oh, memory restored. And it doesn't really work that way in real life. Yeah. Um, but it it also comes from the the old joke of, you know, memory like a goldfish. And, yeah. You know, which, of course, is not true. You can teach goldfish to do mazes and stuff like that. The thing is, though, is that we we discover that even though she annoys him and that she's unpredictable, which I think is the most important part of this dynamic. She is a variable that he can't control because of her memory loss. She has a skill he needs. She but can, She can read human. Yeah, she can read human. Um, but she is an element of unpredictability. She is a thing he can't control. And also, she's the only one who's willing to help him initially. Um, yeah, because when we, when we first see the, after the boat, he's running to every fish you can see. Did you see a boat? Did you see a boat? And they're just ignoring him. Or they're outright hostile. You know, go away. Yeah. I don't want to talk to you. We get our run-in with the sharks, who Nemo had initially said, you know, like, hey, do you think I'll see a shark? And Marlon is horrified at the idea that he might want to see a shark. Fish uh, are friends, not food. Yeah. But these are, you know, the the uh, recovery version of sharks, you know. Vegetarian sharks. I don't know how that works. Uh, pro probably dead sharks. Uh, I don't know if sharks have to to eat meat to survive, but um, yeah, they are a fascinating little group in their their multi-step recovery uh, meeting and they are in their bring a fish friend so Bruce brings them into the, the group and there's another tiny little scared fish there who immediately escapes we'll see him later yeah but they have found just as they're getting in there the diver's mask which has the famous p sherman 42 wallaby way sydney uh address on it but as they're they're trying to read it during this you know support group meeting uh marlon and dory get into a fight and marlon bonks dory with it it makes her bleed and Bruce smells the blood in the water <laughs> and uh goes into a frenzy 
and chases I them. I just love how the other two shark gets intervention, intervention. <laughs> yeah. They I just, have I also... they have that great that great moment of uh, setting off the the mines. Yeah, they're they're the the shark's lair is a underwater naval site because there's a, there there's bombs, there's missiles, there's a well, yeah, it's it's sunken. left over from World War Two. It's it's yeah. a Pacific theater uh, naval site. They appear to be in a sunken submarine, um, and one of the unused missiles gets loose from the firing chamber and sets off some underwater mines that and, are there. And it leads to a fart joke. And it leads to a fart joke, which is kind of, eh, I don't know. That that joke never hit for me. I don't know why. It just, it always felt kind of cheap. But, you know, whatever. I think the, the, the Brad Garrett Belch joke, get as dirty as you can, hit better later in the movie. Uh, yeah, a little bit, but the uh, getting away with the the mask and you know leaving the the sharks behind and everything, but then eventually ending up with the anglerfish in the deep in, in the, the dark trench. Yeah, yeah, um, is rather fascinating because I love. I love Dory trying to read the back of the mask and being like, can you hold the, the light there? Marlin's trying not to get eaten. And it's, it's done on purpose, but I do love how everything that Nemo had says at the beginning of the movie, like sea turtles and sharks and all that, that that Marlin just interacts with all of them. Yeah, it's it's a nice little bit of foreshadowing if you pay attention at the beginning of the movie, because everything that that Nemo wants to see in the ocean does come back at some point uh, during Marlin's journey. But we have the bit where Dory finally memorizes something and it sticks in her memory. Yeah, she remembers the the address. And it's the first time she's ever remembered. And this, you know, I remembered something, I remembered something. And yeah. This is why, you know, later on, why it's so important for her to remember something, because she kind of think, you know, sees Marlin as the key to remembering something. Let's check out what's going on with our with our fish tank crew here. Uh, Nemo is put in the tank. They explain the situation to him. They give him the initiation as being part of the of the crew with the ring of fire. Shark bait. Ooh, ha ha. Yeah. Oh, um, Deb and Flo. Hi, it's my sister Flo. Another one of those clips that kind of always shows up from the movie and people, people, you know, pantomiming that scene with a mirror. Um, but yeah, the, the, the point is that they realize that he's going to be, Nemo is going to be the present for uh, Dr. Sherman. He's a dentist. Dr. Sherman's niece. And she kills fish. That's that's how they know her. She's the fish killer. So they're st- starting this plan to get Nemo out of the tank to make sure he doesn't die. Yeah, and we see that, of course, Gil is also from the ocean. He also 
has a injured Finn, much like Nemo, and he takes on Nemo as, you know, he's sort of a, a mentor to Nemo, a surrogate father figure in the tank. Uh, you can be forgiven for thinking he's kind of a villain at first because Willem Dafoe. Uh, yeah. But when Nemo gets sucked up into the intake and they're, he's screaming for help and they're, they're all like, you know, help him. And Gil's like, no, don't help him. But then he teaches Nemo how to get out on his own, you know, stay calm, you know, move back and forth side to side and, Nemo's saying, I can't do it because I've got the tiny fin. And he's like, well, it never stopped me, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, he turns into a, a real, you know, hero in the in the tank there. He's a, he's the anti-Marlin. Because Marlin is all, keep, you know, keep it safe. You know, I'm going to help you. You can't do this on your own. While Gil is, you can do this on your own. All you have to do is be calm and you can get out of this situation. Yeah, be calm, be brave. It's a reversal of what we kind of skipped over it, but at the beginning of the movie, Nemo gets stuck in part in part of the coral outside of the anemone, and you know Marlin says, you know, you you can't get out by yourself. Let me help you. And we yeah. get the flip here with Gil telling him, yes, you can get out by yourself. You can do this. Yeah, and in fact, he even starts to talk Nemo through helping with his own rescue plan. Yeah, to take out the uh the filter. The filter, yeah. Yeah. So many of the the fish in the tank are also traumatized in kind of similar ways to Marlin. You know, they always they also have all these kind of quirks. trauma response quirks in Ways that you can tell are sort of similar to Marlin's. One's a neat freak. One is just constantly looking at, you know, it's a starfish is always looking outside. Um, yeah, yeah, the one, the one that's always trying to get, you know, bubbles is always trying to get the bubbles. You know, my yeah. bubbles, mine, mine, mine. And Deb believes that she has a twin sister through the reflection. Yeah. So yeah, he, there's a lot of that in this movie that I had forgotten. That there's like quirks and trauma responses, and they're you know trapped in the the tiny tank. Most of them, I mean, we we hear that you know, with the exception of Gil and Nemo, all of them come from pet stores. None of them have ever known what the ocean is like. Yeah, but they dream of going to the ocean one day. I don't know if they would survive given that they've never been in the wild, but good to dream. Um, yeah, so the the thing about the, the tanking is that Gil is really the only one that is kind of the self-sufficient one. Because he's the only one that's been in the ocean. Uh, yeah, maybe. Um, but he is sort of Marlin's flip side character here, you know? And it's it's a fascinating dynamic of Nemo learning, even though he's in a contained environment, it's Nemo learning to 
be a little bit more brave and being a little bit more sure of himself. Independent. Yeah. Because that's, you know, Marlon doesn't really want Nemo to become independent. Because he doesn't want to lose Nemo. But it's Gil that kind of teaches Nemo to be independent. When they find out that Darla's coming, he's like, you know, you know, he's he's you know, he takes the initiative and, and does the uh, the the filter blocking trick successful because he got a bigger rock this time. Yeah. But uh, yeah. He, and he would not have been able to do that if it wasn't for Gil encouraging him to be a little bit more independent if it was marlin in that situation they probably would have been stuck in that tank and nemo would have uh yeah yeah the thing about marlin's journey is that after they have their little run-in with the the moonfish and they get pointed to the current is we have the thing again of not 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 trusting Dory you know he's already written Dory off because the moonfish tell her go through the the trench and not over and Dory can't remember where she heard the information from she just knows they need to go through the trench and so she's not able to tell him outright the moonfish said that the you have to go through the trench because that's the safer thing all she can articulate is we we need to i have a feeling we have to go through the the trench so marlin goes are are you kidding no 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 i know i know better you know we're we're going over yeah it's that need for control even if he even if he has the wrong answer he's gonna go with it anyway because he needs to be in control of the situation in some capacity yeah and that's of course where they get the jellyfish. The jellyfish, which is beautifully animated. It's so beautifully animated. It's one of the most beautifully animated sequences in the film. You know, the problem is, of course, is that I I do like that line, and of course everybody likes that line. Is you know you will you will be my squishy, and I will you remember your squishy. Yeah, yeah, I will call you squishy. Yeah, of course, it's the problem of the stings, which will be death but they're less problematic for marlin because of living in the anemone Hmm. they discover or dory accidentally discovers that you know if you hop on the top of them they won't sting you so marlin tries to make a game out of it but it gets out of hand and they still both get knocked unconscious and we get the sea turtles dude a turtle yeah. that talks the turtle that talks like a surfer. I'm pretty sure I've seen that somewhere before. I have no idea. Anyone up for pizza? <laughs> I love this uh character. Crush. Because yeah, the character of Crush and, and Squirt too, because this is the model father-son dynamic for Marlin to see. Yeah. 
they show uh, Squirt playing around. He gets knocked out of the current at one point, and Marlin freaks out. Crush is like, no, 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 let's see what he does. And then, yeah, yeah, Squirt is able to find his way back in. He was like, well, that was cool, you know. Yeah. Um, And everything. And it's Crush doesn't freak out. He just stands there at a, you know, stands there. He, like, swims at a safe distance and watches. He's not just abandoning him. He's there at a distance watching to see how his kid handles it. The kid takes a moment, figures it out, figures a way back in. And then he's like, all right, you handled that good. How was it? Let's talk about it. How do you feel? It's, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's that thing of kids are smarter than you give them credit for. They can figure it out if you give them a chance to. But the important thing is, is that he's not hovering, but he's there. Like, yeah. he's still in the area. He's still there in case the kid needs help. But he's willing to let the kid figure it out on his own. And at the end of it, the kid's a little bit more confident. The kid didn't freak out. He knows what to do next time. You know? Yeah. And it's all good. Which is kind of the the better way, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and and we get that that discussion between Marlon and Crush. You know, how do you know? And he says, you don't. You'll know when they know. And then you'll know. <laughs> you know, so, sometimes you just got to let the kid make a mistake. Let the kid scrape his knees once in a while. Yeah, it's like. If scraping your knee is all that's going to happen, then okay, it's fine. If they're about to jump off the roof, maybe stop them from doing that. You know, it's like no, no when no when you need to step in. Um, it's it's okay to have a scraped knee. It's maybe a little bit worse to have compound fracture of the leg. <laughs> um, but I I, I kind of like crushes approach there because he's not just like let the kid go off and do whatever but he is let me stand over here and wait until the kid needs me did the kid need me no kid's fine okay cool moving on and then we get the uh the telephone montage marlin tells the story up to of the movie up to this point which gets told to every fish in the ocean, which eventually reaches back to Nemo at uh, Dr. Sherman's office. I I, I, I I did like that. You know, it's it's it, it gives that little bit of hope and it shows that that because we had gone back to to to, to the fish tank and and Nemo had kind of given up hope that his father would come for him until until he gets told, hey, he's on his way. Well, he's because coming. Nemo had good reason to think that, though, because yeah. he's, he already told the the tank gang that he was like, my dad will not look for me because my dad won't even leave the anemone. <laughs> like, my dad barely took me to school. He will not cross an ocean for me. Trust. The Marlin that he knows is a coward. Yeah. Scared of everything. Again, good reason to be scared of everything. But still, from Nemo's point of view, scared of everything. So he won't even make the attempt to come to yeah. come for him. I like the little bit about, you know, all right, let's go through exit 
strategy Protocol. like yeah like the parachute jump it's the same kind of yeah. thing do you have your exit buddy <laughs> let's get ready to you know and then we get our thing which will eventually come back in the sequel uh of dory speaking whale and whether or not dory can speak whale and once again marlin does not believe dory dory says she has a skill he does not believe it. She also said she could read human. Marlin didn't believe it until she proved it. You know, she he didn't believe her about the trench and it almost got him killed. You know, he doesn't believe her about, you know, doing things like talking to the moonfish. And of course, that ends up being the right thing to do. And here she says, oh, hey, a whale, let me talk to the whale. And he's like, you can't speak whale. Stop. You're just making random noises. Doesn't make any sense. It ends up, though, um, you know, he keeps saying, like, you're going to get us eaten. And she goes, no, nah, they don't eat clownfish. They eat krill. Oh, look, krill. <laughs> <laughs> Which is one of my favorite just random jokes. It's like, swim away. <laughs> you know, oh, look, krill. Uh but, and this is the scene you were talking about where he starts screaming, you know, like, how do you know it's not going to go badly? And she goes, I don't. And he's like, you know, you you can't do this. You're not ready, Nemo. And calls her Nemo. And then he realizes. And Dory says, the whale says it's time to let go now. And I've always found that such a beautiful scene, you know. Yeah. Of Marlin just going like, well, okay, screw it. Maybe maybe we do get eaten, but there's nothing more I can do at this point. Yeah, and they go right out the, the, the blowhole, as it were, and yeah, the whale was trying to help them. Well, Sydney Harbor, yeah. Sydney Harbor, yeah. We see the Sydney Opera House and... The, 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 the fish earlier made the, you know, in the shape of the Sydney Opera House... Yeah. Every every time we see the Sydney Opera House, we get a oh! yeah, and and Dory starts reading everything. Sydney, Sydney, Sydney. That's a Sydney too, you know. <laughs> they as they're standing there, immediately they get picked up by a pelican. Mine, 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 mine. Well, no, those are the seagulls, but okay. you know, yeah, but the, the you know as they're. And I like I like Marlin just absolutely having enough of this crap where he's like, no, I did not come this far to be breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> but then, uh, you know, then we run back across Nigel, you know, the, the pelican we've met before. But uh, but then we get the mine seagulls, which yeah. yeah. Boy, if you've ever spent time on the beach, that is the most perfect impression of seagulls. I yeah. I have spent so much time on the beach fighting seagulls that <laughs> are like, is is that a snack? Did you bring a snack to the beach? That is my snack. I I also like snacks. <laughs> also introduced through a poop joke. Yeah, that, that one is is slightly better but just because it kind of stops all the action you know but Ni nigel knows just what to say to make uh 
to make Marlon trust him because he's able to give a an accurate description of Nemo. Yeah. So now all of our main players are coming together. Darla is here. Darla wants her fishy. And in the smartest move he could do, Nemo plays dead. Because as we've seen in, uh, as we said earlier, the dead fish tend to get flushed. And uh, as Gil says, all pipes lead to the ocean. But he's going to end up throwing him in the trash instead. Why? Because we need conflict. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Marlon tells Nigel, you know, hey, you know, flap around. And Nigel's like, no, I, I can't go in there. And he's like, no, you do it. <laughs> Grabs onto his tongue. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and Sherman is like, the animals have gone crazy. What's going on here? I feel so sorry for that poor kid that's waiting to get his... And he see and he hears like screaming and all this stuff coming from the dentist office. If the kid wasn't scared of dentists before, he sure is now. Yeah. You know that they finally uh, get Nemo into a drain, although it's a different drain. It's in the little spit tank thing next to the the dentist chair. Um, and it's Gil with the the sacrifice play he launches himself out of the tank and he also takes a deep breath before he jumps out of the water yeah it's coming back to that that joke there um and gill is saved though because the the dentist ends up finding him and throwing him back in the tank but uh but nemo ends up going down the drain and ends up uh in a pipe out to the ocean but unfortunately, Marlin and Dory and Nigel believe Nemo to be dead. Yeah. And we get that scene you talked about where Marlin tells Dory he just wants to forget everything and he leaves her behind. But Nemo finds Dory, who is freaking out because she doesn't know where she is. And she doesn't have anybody to tell her where she is. She's no longer in a part of the ocean she recognizes. There's nobody near her. That who, she does recognize, yeah. Who knows her and can tell her where she is. So she's just circling around the chain of the buoy and freaking out. But she remembers the name Nemo. When Nemo says his name, it all comes flooding back to her. And, and, I, 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 and I like how they do that. It's like the, the, we get a flash of the entire movie up to this point. Yeah. With and that P. Sherman Molly, my P. Sherman, you know, over and over and over. Nemo, you're Nemo. Your father's looking for you. Yeah, and they go to find Marlin, and they find him. But unfortunately, uh, Dory gets caught up with a, a school grouper yeah. in a fishnet, and she is too big to swim out through the the net. The net. Uh, and Marlin wants to leave her there. <laughs> because Marlon is just the worst. He's and, got what he wants. He, he's got his son back. He doesn't need yeah, and, anymore. Yeah, and Nemo's like, um, Dad, no, you're the worst. Uh, she helped us get back together. You can't just leave her to die. And so, yeah, Marlon's like, oh, yeah, okay. And, you sure. know, it's, it's, the, it's also that bit of trust. It's like, trust me, I can do this. And, you know, Nemo, uh, Marlon wants to pull Nemo back. You can't do this. It's too dangerous. And I can do this. I can do this. And 
Marlin trusts Nemo to do whatever it is he needs to do. We skipped over it, but as part of uh, getting Nemo into the bag, the aquarium crew in the fishing net kind of swim down to kind of force it out of his hand. So they do the same trick here, only on a more massive scale, with telling all of the fish to swim down, to swim down, and it'll 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 loosen the net. It'll break the net. It bre- yeah. That's what happens, yeah. yeah. Um, and- Can you imagine being these fishermen? Wondering what the heck they caught that broke the net. Yeah, that's gonna that's gonna be an urban legend. It's like you'll never believe what we almost caught off the coast of Sydney. And it's like yeah. they uh, are able to free the grouper, and therefore uh, Dory and Nemo almost. Get, ties a second time. Almost <laughs> ties a second time because the net falls on him. It squishes him. And we will call him Squishty. <laughs> um, but there, you know, he comes to and he's like, I don't hate you, Dad. We get a nice hug. And we're back at the reef again. Yeah. They, they, they're back in their anatomy. Dory now lives with them. And uh, Squirt has transferred to the reef to go to school. Yeah. And yeah, uh, everyone had a little happy ending as a happy family. Yeah, Dory is friends with all the sharks and goes to shark meetings for some reason. Uh, just because she's got friends now. Yeah, yeah. And Nemo is a regular at school. Everybody's, you know, everybody's happy. Marlon's hanging out with the other parents yeah, m- at school and telling Marlon, jokes. Yeah, Marlon has loosened up a bit because he's he trusts Nemo now. He doesn't have to be the hovering parent anymore. Yeah, and uh, we get a little stinger about what happens to the tank gang. <laughs> they break the filter again. again. <laughs> Um, and they're all put in bags, and they roll right out the window, and it, across the street, and into the water, and now they're floating in bags, and they're like, uh, what now? Oh, <laughs> uh, we'll check back. If we ever do the sequel, we'll check back with them. But yeah, they didn't think that far ahead in the plan. Yeah. The, uh... The other thing is, though, is that they uh, there is one other tiny little after credits stinger where we see that terrified little fish from the shark group that ends up escaping as he runs into the anglerfish and eats the anglerfish. <laughs> uh, maybe he should have gone to that meeting. Yeah, maybe he should have stayed in the meeting. He would have at least gotten the uh, the smallest shark. <laughs> maybe yeah oh yeah post credit scenes they're not just for Marvel <laughs> interestingly as a lot of films do this movie had a rather fascinating impact on the ecology we talked before about Jaws because of the shark connection. 
when the book Jaws and especially the movie Jaws came out, it had a massive impact on the shark population uh, because of people, the way people saw sharks and people being terrified of sharks and the perception of sharks. And in a similar way, uh, we talked about when we did uh, 101 Dalmatians we talked about how whenever those movies come out, the number of people who try to buy Nelmations goes up and then it ends up flooding animal shelters after that with people who discover that a Dalmatian is not for them. This movie caused a massive problem with tropical fish and coral reefs it absolutely devastated the tropical fish market Mm. with people going like oh now my kid wants a clownfish or a blue tang or you know yellow tang or whatever if you don't know and you show this to your little child and they go mommy mommy i want a fish these are very delicate fish. They require very high maintenance. Okay? You know how in the movie they put a little pebble in the filter and it immediately turns the tank all sorts of horrific green? That that That's not a joke. Okay? The, these are very expensive fish to keep. They require massive amounts of maintenance. I used to live with a roommate that kept saltwater fish. My room was on the other side of a very thin wall from the roommate's massive fish tank. My room was like living underneath a waterfall. It was a nightmare. And the roommate did nothing but constantly clean this fish tank 24-7. I swear it was all my roommate ever did. Um, They apparently loved it. I cannot imagine ever wanting to do this. This is like a full-time job, okay? But this is not a thing to do unless you have researched it fully okay that's all that's all i'm gonna say is you must research this fully this is an expensive and time-consuming proposition to have any of the fish seen in this movie as a pet okay however it has caused massive overfishing of tropical fish for pet keeping purposes it has caused massive overfishing of coral reefs also for you know aquarium purposes the other problem is after seeing the film some aquarium owners went oh my goodness fish have feelings and decided to release their fish the problem is they just did this in whatever body of water was near them, which has caused 
invasive species to enter the ecosystems of random areas. And that has also been a problem. And if you introduce a species into an area that is not prepared for it, where it may not have natural predators or the appropriate feeding source or whatever, it can absolutely destroy the population. Florida has the worst problem with this. Right now, Florida is just being overrun by pythons. Mm. Because, which are not native to the area, because um, people had released a few pet snakes. And they don't have natural predators in the area. And they can lay numerous amount of eggs. And a full-grown python, uh, like a pet... Uh, boa uh, that you would keep as a domesticated pet. Well, I say domesticated, but you know, that you would be able to have like a ball python or something around here. Fully grown without care, just released into the wild. Those can take down a full-size deer. Those can take down a full-size alligator. Those can take down, like, your German Shepherd. The, you know, those can take down your toddler, heaven forbid. Okay? I, I mean, seriously, they are an absolute horrific threat. And they are devastating species in Florida because a, a few people just thought, ooh, this snake got larger than I thought it was gonna it's not the cute little baby snake that i bought i can't keep it in a tank anymore or i can't afford to feed it anymore i'll just you know go release it in a park somewhere and now it's just killing everything in sight and produce you know reproducing and interbreeding with native snake species and creating these terrific mutants um you can do that with fish too and they're creating all kinds of you know horrible uh consequences for reefs they were never supposed to be in areas they were never supposed to be in don't do that the other problem is there is the line in the movie of all drains lead to the ocean they do not yes in the sense that the water cycle will eventually evaporate water and turn it into rain, and that may eventually get the water to the ocean in that sort of evaporation, condensation, you know, precipitation kind of cycle. But uh, drains and water treatment plants usually go through like a filtration system and stuff that chops up solid waste and you get where i'm going yeah yeah you flush nemo down the drain nemo ain't surviving that okay um in fact i actually heard spoilers for this movie before i got to see the movie because news stations at the time had to go on air and be like 
parents do not let your children flush their pet fish down the drain thinking that they are setting it free. It's not, it, it, it will just murder the fish. And that I was like, oh, well, I know how that movie ends then. Well, I'm still going to go see it, but thanks, morning TV news program. That was a spoiler. <laughs> Because that's legitimately how I found out how this movie ends was like Good Morning America or something. Because they were like, apparently little kids are seeing this movie and being traumatized and being like, no, I want to set goldfishy free. <laughs> like, uh, so yeah, it was a, it was a thing at the time. So we've talked about this when we talked about Monsters, Inc. That, when Disney, when it looked like Disney and Pixar were about to go their separate ways, Disney created Circle Seven Studios, which was just to make sequels to Pixar films for direct-to-video. We talked about their idea for Monsters Inc. Two. They had an idea for a Finding Nemo two, and it was not Finding Dory. So the plot of what would have been Circle Seven's Finding Nemo two. Which would it would have started with a flashback back to the beginning of this movie, where we find out another egg survived, got washed away, and we get Nemo's long lost twin brother. And that would have been a storyline where these two brothers would have to find a way to get along. And somehow Marlin gets kidnapped and they have to find him. That's really all we know because that's as far as the movie ever got before Disney just flat out bought Pixar and shut down Circle 7. And I'm kind of glad we never got that movie. Yeah, it, I don't know. I, I'm i not a fan of like, oh, look, it's your long lost brother, sister, you know, whatever. I'm I'm not like a huge fan of that plot. So, so I'm glad yeah. we didn't get that. So let's ask the question, does Finding Nemo have the magic, Kiki? I say yes. This is still a really enjoyable movie. I'm going to say yes as well. It still looks great 20 years later, especially the animation on that water. All of it. This The, the, the way the story is, the animation, it's all... It still holds up. It's still good. 20 years later, yeah, this movie definitely has the magic. All right, so let's move on to next week. Kiki, think my watch isn't working the way it's supposed to. Do you know what time it is? What time is it? It's morphin' time! After all these years, after all this time... We are finally diving into the Power Rangers franchise with possibly the only thing that's still owned by this company, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers the movie. And I'm still not sure about that, but we'll figure that out next week. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, Kiki... Uh, Rita's escaped, and I need you to get me a team of teenagers th with attitude for next week. Uh, all I've got is a group of teenagers with TikToks. Is that going to work? Good enough. 
All right, I can put that together. All right, so we will be talking about Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, the movie, next week. And we will talk to you all next time. Bye. Bye. Just keep swimming, just keep swimming, just keep swimming. If you want to help the fight for human rights in the U.S., the American Civil Liberties Union works to protect constitutional rights for all Americans. Their website is ACLU.org. If you need reproductive services in the U.S. or wish to donate to those who do, go to abortionfunds.org for more info. The battle isn't over until the last person surrenders. The fight continues. Don't let the magic stop here. Join our conversation online on Facebook at Rewatching the Magic. Twitter at Rewatch the Magic. And of course, new episodes every week at rewatchingthemagic.podbean.com. Remember, the magic is for everyone. It only stops if you let it.